Lagos Talks 91.3 and Corporate Shepherds presents the man of the hour. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome I.D. Enang. This is Navigate with I.D. Enang. This is Navigate with I.D. Brought to you by Corporate Shepherds. Welcome, my dear friends and very distinguished listeners. It's Navigate with ID. I'm so happy and so grateful to God for the gift of life. Friends, I just want you all to celebrate with me and to thank God for my very lovely father who turns 88 today, Elder Sukwa John Isienenang. This man, oh my God, has been a great, great guy, great guy. You know, I spoke to him this morning and, uh, and his wife, who happens to be my dear mother. He was in high spirits, and um, his voice was sounding like a late 60s type of person. One of these days, I hope I'll be able to bring him on air so he can actually just speak into the entire uh, friends of mine, my extended family on Navigate with ID. By the grace of God, we'll make this happen. But I just want to say happy birthday to a lovely father, a man who has helped me through the journey of life, who started me on a note of discipline, on a path of honor, was able to show me the right things to do at the right time and ensure that discipline was his watchword. I can't but thank God for the investment that my father has had over my life. And today I say a big thank you to God for keeping him. I will continue to keep him by his grace. You know, he'll get to 90 and then maybe add another decade and at that point in time, it's between him and Baba God to decide how they want to roll things. But thus far, the Lord has been very faithful. So join me as we celebrate him and as we also give thanks to God for the gift of life. Friends, that done, that said, because I know he'll be very eager to listen to today's episode. And he had already said it that um, I should make sure that I send him a copy that he would like to listen to this particular episode. He does listen in when he can, especially the other formats. He does. He doesn't miss it. But I just know that today is just a place to say thank you to God Almighty. For as many as are like me who desire that length of days, God Almighty himself will grant us and we will see the future of our lives come before us by his grace. And so, friends, getting into business, we've been looking at the topic and the concept of centralization and decentralization. In the past episode, when we started this beautiful concept, I had said to you that as we step into the new month, which, by the way, happy new month to you all. As we step into this new month, the third month in our calendar, and in all ramifications, the in month that heralds the new quarter or the end of the first quarter. I wish you well in all that you will do. And by God's grace, we'll continually celebrate. So friends, this is the Business School on Radio. And as you are aware, we try to wrap up a lot of things that we do. We try to put all of that within the ambit of the business sense, having a clear understanding of impacting ourselves and impacting knowledge so many of us will see this business school as a place where we can take the right lessons, become better, more productive. And at the end of the day, 
you and I can smile because we have had an opportunity to learn. This is a form of learning that I don't want you to take for granted. And I trust God that as we go through, we will learn more and be better persons. So we started by saying what is centralization and what is decentralization. And in the course of it, I used several examples. And as you know, we take a case study approach. We had the government, we had the private sector, and of course, we had ministries, departments, and agencies to give us an archetypal framework with which to work. And in particular, we also stepped in with INEC, looking at the concept and the entire space of how INEC as an organization is being run. And so today, just taking a slight recap from the Tuesday's episode and asking ourselves, what is centralization? I did say that centralization means reservation of authority at the central point within an organization. And the fact that in centralization, control and decision-making reside at the top levels of management. I also shared with you the fact that one major aspect that drives centralization of decision-making is centered around a unified direction and integration. It's around prompt action, which sometimes does not necessarily work that way and enables bureaucracy. It also helps to reduce overall costs. Supposedly, that's why you have a center. And more importantly, controlling. It ensures effective means of controlling all the operating operational units. But all of this is dependent on the leader. If you do not have an outstanding leader in any stages of this enterprise to make the quick decisions or to provide that visioning and direction, then centralization will fall through the cracks. We talked about the factors that influence centralization, which we also spoke to the small businesses who often operate in a centralized manner simply because of the smaller size of their workforces or the scope of their businesses because a small business owner may be the only manager in the entire company. Small companies will grow, and as they grow, they begin to step into the place of decentralization. And so what is decentralization? Decentralization fixes something that you and I look at. Companies, firms, businesses, or industries or even agencies that grant substantial decision-making authority to the managers or subunits are referred to as decentralized organizations. So here we use the example of INEC. We also use the example of the federal government. We also use the example of multinationals. And I said to you that most firms, most organizations are neither totally centralized nor totally decentralized. But what does decentralization of authority mean? It means dispersal of decision-making power to the lower levels of the organization. It was at this stage I did say to you, if we take INEC as a model, and you see that at the center, you have the chairman and national commissioners and other officers. They sit at the top, at the center. But at the requisite decentralized units, starting from the states, you have what you call the state resident electoral commissioners and all the way down to the entire hard hoc structure where 
you would have polling officers or electoral officers or whatever title they may be called, that it's at that place you find a dispersal of decision-making power all the way down to the lower rung of the organization. However, decentralization refers to the systematic effort to delegate to the lowest levels of authority except that which can only be exercised at central points. You are all witnesses to what we've just gone through with the presidential elections, where a lot of concerns are binding, that a lot of things that were meant to happen at the polling units, a lot of decisions at the polling units that were not taken or properly executed have come up to the very center and they are becoming issues at the center. And I did say to you that if you look at the decentralized authority span, that it's not about the what, it's not about the how, it's about the who. Anybody that is being hired and given the lowest level of authority by way of delegation must be critically important and competent. Competence here is not about being just technically competent. That person must be able to exude all the decision-making power that even the others at the top will have. So, for example, if you are going to hire electoral officers, you must make sure the same spirit and the letter where you go to the rigor of hiring a chairman or a national commissioner, that is the same spirit with which you must hire an electoral officer because they'll be making critical decisions. They'll be invaded with all manner of requests. And one request or one action may not be the same. You may have a plethora of items that you've kept within the ambits of the last 24 years of an ascent democracy and which may be what you'd consider the tools that will help train and retrain officers at the lower rung, but doesn't take away the fact that the who, that is the person that wears that cap, that hat, at the lowest rung of the ladder, must be empowered, not just with authority, but must have the competence. Friends, decentralization is not the same thing as delegation. Delegation means entrustment of responsibility and authority from one individual to another. But decentralization means scattering of authority throughout the entire organization. It is a diffusion of authority within the entire enterprise. And so if you are running a business and you have, I'm making this up, 25 different locations where there's a center. Now, what it means is that you've been able to disperse, and that's where decentralization comes. You've been able to disperse a decision-making power to the 25 units because you will not be there all the time. The person that you put in charge of each location must have an opportunity and must be the right person that would take on the gamut of that authority. It is a diffusion of authority within that enterprise that you can call decentralization. Decentralization is distinct from dispersion. Very many times we confuse decentralization to be dispersion. Dispersion occurs when plants and offices are located at different places with physical distance between them. A company may be highly centralized although its facilities, that is the physical facilities and employees 
are widely dispersed and the company may be highly decentralized, even though all physical facilities and employees are located in a single building. What am I saying? You could have a building that will warehouse employees. Some are working for West Africa. Some are working for Nigeria. Some are working for North Africa. Some are working for Southern Africa. All different regions, all housed in one building. That is a decentralization of operations where you have manpower sitting in one physical building, but then they are working with different regions on the continent. Many times, these two items, decentralization and dispersion, they are confused by people. And so it affects the mode of operations. Let me go straight away into what I would call the distinction between delegation and decentralization. It is very important because for people that are running businesses, for us that are looking at our country, Nigeria, especially when we keep talking about the federal system of government, it's important that we understand that the Constitution has defined the framework for the country, but we are operating within a centralized and decentralized structure. In like manner, businesses are centralized and also decentralized. In like manner, ministries, departments, and agencies of government operate in a centralized format. That's why you have one head. You might have a governor in charge of a state as vast as Lagos. However, there is a dispersal different types of ministries across the entire state. These same ministries have a flavor with what you have at the center because in every state, there is a federal ministry that is operating within the ambits of that state. So there is a cohabitation of two structural elements, but all of that coming together because our principle is well endowed and understood. The rules of engagement are clear. The framework is clear, but it's the actors that create problems. Let me start with distinction between delegation and decentralization. Delegation is a process of devolution of authority, while decentralization is the end result, which is achieved when delegation of authority is at more than one level. What am I saying? When you look at a delegation, I am the commercial director of a company. Now, as commercial director, I am running the entire country. So assuming I work for a company, I am the commercial director for the entire Nigeria operations. Now, when you look at that, I will then delegate my authority because I can't be at all parts of the country at the same time. So I probably have divisional sales managers. So let's, for simple structure and analogy, assume that we are taking the six geopolitical zones. So I have a divisional sales manager, DSM, South-South, Southeast, Northeast, Northwest, North Central, and Southwest. So these are the six geopolitical zones. Now, each of these six men are there. They report directly to me as commercial director. Decentralization becomes the end result that is achieved 
when I delegate my authority to them to be able to manage at more than one level. What do I mean? Each of my divisional sales manager will have areas under them. So areas make up a division. A division now makes up the, the center. So I sit at the center. I have divisional sales managers at the six geopolitical zones. Under each geopolitical zones will be some states. So take, for example, I have the Southeast, and there are four or five states. Five states, for example. I have the South-South. I have the Southwest. There are a number of states there. Each of my divisional sales managers will have what you call area sales managers managing each state. So under the area sales managers, there will be territory managers. So if you take a place like Lagos within the Southwest, you will then see that there will be territory managers, Lagos Island, Lagos Mainland, Lagos South, Lagos West. Those are territories that are mapped from that place all the way up. That is what then shows you that because as commercial director, I've delegated my authority for approval for the selling action to happen at the divisions or the area, the minute I delegate that authority to my divisional sales managers, they in turn will give a certain measure of authority to the territory area managers who are in the local governments that form an area. That process, that end result, when the delegation of authority is at more than one level, becomes decentralization. So this doesn't really happen until authority has been taken down to more than one level. But we make the mistake of seeing it in a different way and say, I have already, I'm decentralized. No, you could not happen without delegation of authority. Number two, delegation takes place between a superior and subordinate. It is a complete process. It may consist of certain tasks alone. However, decentralization involves spreading of the total decision-making power. This is a critical place we can use INEC as an example. Let's take it that the entire commission has been set up by an act of law. Now, not everything will be inside the act. And so the act will empower the commission, meaning the chairman and the national commissioners, to bring out certain guidelines that would help the day-to-day -day management of the entire process called electioneering or electoral practices. And so the commission is charged with that responsibility. And so within that, there is a certain delegation that is moved from the commissioners or the top commission to the state resident electoral commissioners. Now, when that delegation takes place between a superior and subordinate, so you now have a rec that is the state resident electoral commissioner, who then delegates an electoral officer at the polling unit. That delegation has taken place. That becomes a complete process. It may consist of certain tasks alone. So there are certain tasks based on the guidelines that have been set together by the commission based on the act that now empowers an electoral officer, a polling unit officer to take certain decisions. That process brings in decentralization.
So decentralization then involves spreading of that total decision-making power. That is why any decision that an electoral officer takes, that decision really can impact on the entire commission. In like manner, when you take that into the private sector or a business, remember the analogy of the commercial director. The commercial director has divisional sales managers reporting to him. The divisional sales managers will then have area sales managers reporting to them. And then area managers will have territory managers reporting to them. If you do not, in the process of delegating authority, have the right person as a territory manager, and you just carry anybody, anyhow, and make him a territory manager, and he takes a decision on behalf of the business or the company, the entire company can get grounded. Why? One territory manager at the lowest rung of the ladder who has received the power to take decisions that is not well equipped. Number one, the process of appointing that person or bringing him into the business was faulty. You have a faulty recruitment process. It would ultimately impact because you've not done a proper screening. What am I saying, friends? Between delegation and decentralization, the who factor is huge. If you look at what I've given you as two parallels in terms of analogy, I started by using INEC as an analogy and also using a business as an analogy. Maybe a company that is into sales and manufacturing or sales and marketing. On one hand, I have said to you that the man at the lowest rung of the ladder within INEC could be the electoral officer that takes decisions in putting or recruiting such a person. The energy must be such that you put in in taking a national commissioner or even a rec. But there's something funny that could also change that order, the way each of these people are also recruited. So, for example, at INEC, I'm not sure a lot of people know that the resident electoral commissioners are typically signed up or they are recruited via the presidency, just like you have the chairman being recruited by the presidency. Now, what happens? The place of independence becomes questionable. Now, you then begin to say, would it have been better if a different organization or institution is allowed to appoint a chairman or the board and then ensuring that the chairman and his team would look for men and women of integrity to serve as resident electoral commissioners and they will have the responsibility where they can hire and fire. But in today's dispensation, that may not be able to happen. Why? Because the chairman of INEC cannot, of necessity, fire Iraq. They have to go through a certain process. That in itself begins to tell you that in the process of decentralization, where you have spread the total decision-making power, when anybody on the lower rung or in the course of the chain makes a mistake or runs foul of the dictates or the guidelines of the business or the code of business conduct, that person cannot be fired by the authorities except they go through a process. These are some of the downsides that come in when a proper 
analysis of centralization and decentralization are not taken through. Let me bring that into a business world. So imagine a company where you have the board of directors. Now, the board of directors do not appoint sales managers. For all you care, at the very most, the managing director may just see, as a matter of fact, depending on the level of the person coming in. So if it's a commercial director, of course, the person may have a chat with the chairman, may have a chat with the MD. And at the end of the day, they'll put a finger and say, that's the guy or lady we want. Fantastic. And they will approve for that person to come in. But if that particular director does not conform to the code of business of that corporation or business, then that part will be evoked and they will the board can sit and take a decision. But that director can now leave the company. Now, the company expects the director, through the help of human resources, to hire the sales managers, even though the commercial director would have a say as to who will come into the organization. Again, it's about the who. But the lower it gets, the more it becomes difficult for the commercial director at that level to really oversee who will come in at the lower end. So it is very difficult for me to establish the fact that as chairman or director in the company, I'll be responsible for checking who comes in as a sales representative. And in like manner, it is not possible to have the chairman of INEC, for instance, to be able to see through who will be an electoral officer or polling unit officer. The system now has to depend on other people. That is why the people that run processes and systems in a centralized and decentralized system must be people of absolute integrity, character, and must live above board. Friends, we are still on the subject of centralization and decentralization. When we come back, I will continue as we look at the distinction between delegation and decentralization so that you can all get enlightened and we will learn together and make the best of this business school on radio. Don't go away. We'll be right back. This is Navigate with ID, brought to you by Corporate Shepherds. Welcome back, my dear friends and very distinguished listeners to the second half of Navigate with ID. Just in case you're just joining, I bid you welcome. We're looking at a very important concept in business called centralization and decentralization. And we're using this within an anecdotal framework to look at how this works in real life. Taking practical examples with the system or institutions that we have around us. And in the first half, we're looking at the distinction between delegation and decentralization. And I did say that delegation is a process of devolution of authority. However, decentralization is the end result which is achieved when delegation of authority is at more than one level. And we used two major examples or analogies centered around the current um, system we have or institution, our electoral body called INEC, and mirroring that with a business organization that is into manufacturing or sales and marketing. 
We did also say that delegation takes place between a superior and subordinate. It is a complete process. It may consist of certain tasks alone. And decentralization involves spreading of the total decision-making power. Going forward and taking it from there, I'd like to add that delegation or in delegation control rests entirely with the superior or the delegator. So when you find the principle of delegation happening, the control is always with the delegator and not the delegatee. It is with the superior and not the subordinate. Whereas in decentralization, the top management may exercise control only in a general manner and delegate the authority for control to the departmental managers. So when you find delegation and decentralization operating, one is the end result, and while other is actual process of devolution of that authority. Delegation is a must for management. Subordinates must be given sufficient authority to perform their assignments. A very simple way I have always operated. If I tell you something, you would may not believe me. So I will rest it within the ambit of how it has helped me in the course of my career, even up to this moment. There is a principle I use in understanding delegation as a person and how I bring it to life. And this is a principle. When you go to buy a good, and you buy a good, that good is given to you based on an exchange. You may have exchanged some amount of money and the seller will give you this good. Now, when the seller is giving the good to you, he does not hand over the horns of the good to you and say, okay, take. He gives you a rope. That rope is meant to be a tug because when you are leaving, it is that tug that will pull the good in the direction that you leave or you want the good to follow. There are some stubborn goods that will tell you they are not leaving their owner for some reason. But the important point to note is that there is a rope given to you, and that rope is meant to allow you give a talk to the goat, and the goat will follow you because you are the one directing the pace. So as a leader, typically leading an organization, there is a talk. That talk or the rope will be the rules of engagement that either by law or by franchise, you have been delegated and given that power of the superior. Now, when you take that particular power endowed or given to you, either by reason of law, the constitution, or whatever, the entire body, which here analogy would be the good, following you, the organization will follow you. And when they follow you, it is what you want. The shape of that organization will be the shape and the vision of the leader. Now, if you take this analogy of the principle of the goat, the goat can be metamorphosed into different things. You can decide to turn it to a soon and have a grill where everybody sits around, bonfire, and you cut a piece of it. You could choose, you know, to take the different parts and make ngongwo. I don't know how many of you understand what ngongwo means. Ngongwo is pepper soup with the offals and all of that. You can also make pepper soup and call it goat meat pepper soup, but ngongwo is very different from pepper soup. When somebody says, I want to give you goat meat pepper soup, it's different from ngongwo because ngongwo is a specialty. 
or you want Ishewu, that Ishewu means is a specialty. It is not just any. So the shape of the body and the organization is now a function of the intent of whoever that leader is. But work with me as I show you or I demonstrate the principle of delegation. When somebody buys a good and you want to hand over that same good to another person by way of saying, I'm delegating my authority, and that person is supposed to be the butcher. Now, imagine that I take the rope and I have a knife with me, and I then give the good with the rope to the man who is supposed to go about putting it at the abattoir, and I hold the knife. Is that delegation? That is not delegation. And that is what happens most of the time. Some people say that they've delegated authority to people that are running the organization, but they are the ones holding the knife. So how can the butcher now turn this piece or this animal into the different formats that will make the consumer or end user enjoy it, whether as ngongo of goat meat pepper soup or asun or ishewu? If you don't hand over the knife and the rope, the goat is still your own. As long as you hold a major instrument that is meant to transform the body or the company or the institution into breakaway units to serve the essence of what it was meant to be, that is not delegation. There are many people today that are very poor leaders, poor delegators, because they want to micromanage. And in the process, they destroy the fabric of the business entity. Don't be an insecure manager. This brings me to the part where I'd like to spend some few minutes to talk about delegation. And hopefully with this series that we've started this month on centralization and decentralization, I'm hoping that you'll be able to make some sense out of it and walk away from some practices that ultimately would destroy your business or even the way you act as a leader. Let's look at delegation. Is assigning a task delegation? The answer is no. Telling people what to do is not delegation. Assigning a task is not delegation. That's not delegation. When you sit back and you explain the big picture, which is the why, if you are really looking at driving success, you must start from the point of the why, which is explaining the big picture. Then you move to the point about the what, which is providing authority to achieve the goals that have been set within that big picture. That is the what. That what will give credence to something that says the how. The how is when you hand over decisions concerning how the job gets done, then you have moved into a space where you now get to the when, which is where you establish timelines. That is what gives you an iota or a sense that you are in the process of delegating towards success. Now, the ultimate goals of delegating are as follows. There are just two major. Number one, it's always about employee engagement or engagement as a whole. And on the other part, it's about skill development. We many times over and over miss this because many people think that the goal of delegating is 
getting someone to do something you do not want to do. That is not the goal of delegating. So many people miss it. But the major goals for delegation are centered around engagement and development. What do I mean? Effective delegation best leverages your current talent in ways that elevate their potential. It is more about people than tasks. And so, let's make it practical. Look at the problems we keep having as a nation. Every electoral cycle, we keep having the same problems. Logistics is one item that has failed to leave us. Yet, we are pumping more money into elections, into planning elections. At the end, we all sit back and say, logistics failed us. How would logistics fail you? Because we have never learned. It tells you that people are just talking their ways. Come on, example. The body, electoral umpire says, well, elections will start by 8.30 a.m. In the past, it used to be by 8 a.m. And when they did some review, they discovered certain things happened and they moved it to 8.30 and then closure at 2.30. Every election, you find the elections still going far beyond the 2.30 mark. What is wrong is because the process of delegation has been abused in the process of decentralization. People have not been engaged. When you don't have adequate employee engagement, you miss the boat. So let's take as an example, this is a business school, let's get practical. Now, you have a certain group of volunteers, youth coppers, etc., who are meant to support the entire framework of electioneering and the process. These men and women are going to be finding themselves in certain polling units or wards. Now, in talking about logistics, have you done a scoop of the hotels or gone into partnerships with certain hotels that will get them to volunteer their spaces and guarantee that you'll be able to warehouse X number of people in those places for this period. And overnight, those men and women will check in. By the way, before you have signed up any volunteer, you're not just going to pick anybody on the street and say, sign, come and be polling unit officer. They must have gone through some background checks. When you look at it, it just tells you that our elections are bent to have issues because attention to details are never done. We only think about decentralization. Yes, we have given it to the recs, but even the recs themselves, have they gone through the process of being hired through a tick on who they are, what they do? Do we have proper background checks? The same way that background checks are taken for candidates that want to run for high offices when they ask the DSS to check, does the DSS check through the regs? Do they go down the radar to electoral officers? Once upon a time, our police force used to have CID units where they will sit intelligence units that will mask through and tell you who this person is. Listen, there is nobody that cannot be traced. There is nobody that cannot be pinched. If you are highlighted, then they know that this person, we need to know about him. Now, if you go from that stage and plug these people into several hotels around the neighborhood, it is easier to tell the police, we need X, Y, Z to be here. Even the police officers that will guard those places. And it will be said, 
nobody receives any messages or visitors unless otherwise. And everywhere, any hotel to qualify must have a CCTV camera. And those cameras, not just the situation room for elections, they are being monitored in groups. Friends, let's face it. In the morning, these guys will be shipped and they will be dropped in each of their polling units before the time because the materials will be there. Materials can be guaranteed to get on time. You know why they are missing it? Because the lack of engagement. On the other side, skill development. So we have not upgraded ourselves well, but we feel that we are decentralized. When effective delegation leverages your current talent in ways that elevate their potential, it is more about people than tasks. But what do we do? We think more about the task than the people. That's why we continually have problems with our elections. That is why logistics will always elude us because we don't even go about thinking about people. If we do, we will get professionals. We don't need to seriously every time sign packs with NURTW. Yet, there are career firms, there are companies that are running logistics day and night. There are supply chain experts all over the place who can give you best in time who can deliver turnaround time, who are delivering TATs that are making companies like Coca-Cola look like stars in the moon with on the moon. These guys exist in this country. They are not aliens. They are here. So when it is more about people than tasks, then you drive engagement and development. But you, if you make it more about the tasks than the people, then the reverse is what you get. That will happen to any business. So if you're running a business and you're focusing more on tasks than the people, you are not checking the quality of recruitment, you're not checking the process of recruitment, you're not checking the process of onboarding, how many of the people that are being requested to come and take on responsibilities as INEC volunteer staff go through onboarding. The director or commissioner for, of INEC will always come out, speaks very well, in the news media, he will tell you, we have started here, we've done this, but all of that is white air. Why? When the chips are down, the details are not followed, and that's why they fall like a pack of cards. Communication, communication, communication. Nothing happens, but they are able to call the print and every media, see what we are doing. We are briefing, quarterly briefing. You can hold all those quarterly briefings to show that you are engaging with your stakeholders. But if delegation is not followed through within the ambits of proper uh, decentralized organization, you will have chaos. And when that chaos comes, it will form like a splatter. Boom. And everybody says, wow. And everybody begins to wonder, whatever happened to all the monies we spent? Year on year, election upon election, we spend more money, but it's the same results we are getting. People are tired. They don't feel good. When you look at the whys, it's always around, number one, logistics, late turnout. Why is it so? It tells you that when you place people under tasks, when you place tasks above people, you will have chaos. But when you concentrate on people and drive effective delegation and engage and drive skill development, success is bound to come.
Let me share with you some principles of delegation in a decentralized organization. Number one, always begin with the part most frequently excluded. Many times, people don't begin with the part most frequently excluded. It could even be the mission and the vision. See, the mission of INEC in one territory may be different from the mission in another territory. Why? Because one may be riverine, one may be landlocked. And so the mission would differ. And so the people that work in such places, for one, one, the mode of recruitment of the who, this one must have, you must be a good swimmer. Because if you, the boat is attacked midstream, you should be able to swim to safety. But these other ones are on land. I don't need you to be a swimmer. I just need you to be a good runner, that you are fit. I don't know if you understand, but the vision we want. You must always begin with the part most frequently excluded. Number two, delegate outcomes, not methods. You see, unless specific methods are mandatory, when you delegate methods, then you are telling the person to follow line by line. No, what you delegate is the outcome. So I am the commercial director of a company. What I say to you as my divisional sales manager is that we need you to deliver 1 million cases, your territory, to deliver 1 million cases and a minimum of 20 customers every month. That is a clear KPI. I am not going to start delegating how you are going to get me the 1 million and the 20 customers monthly. But many times, we tend to delegate. You say, okay, I'm giving the authority to hire uh, 21 customer a week. I think you should hire one a day. Make sure you go to the east, go to the west, and you have my authority. No, you don't need to do that. You delegate the outcome, which becomes a key performance indicator. That outcome, leave the man, because the who, you've gone through the process of getting the right guy, he will find a way to deliver the outcome because you are in a decentralized system. Number three, you must invite participation from employees, from your customers, from the audience, from everyone regarding delegated assignments. So invite participation. So if you are running a company, for instance, your employees are your first, how would I put it? They are your first level ambassadors. In like manner, when Nigeria is standing anywhere, the first level participants are Nigerians. Wherever you see that green, white, green. See, friends, in any foreign land, the minute the green, white, green flag is hoisted, people will gravitate towards that flag. Why? Because they recognize it. We are all citizens of this great country. They walk towards the flag. But when you do not build it in such a way that they have a sense of participation, a sense of belonging, they may see the flag and they will begin to doubt. I'm not sure why it is there, where it is there, because we have not engaged with the employees or the citizens. It is a very key part in driving delegation. And so the fourth principle is discussing the scope of authority. You must discuss the scope of authority, including limits, and agree on the definition of excellence. Do you know, if I'm sitting down as the INAC chairman or the commissioner or the commercial director or the managing director of a company, Management must have 
an opportunity to speak to the guys on the ground. Whether it's by a conference, some organized commercial conferences, I do get invited to several where the managing director will come in briefly. It's the same way the president will go to the theater where the war is taking place and he wants to talk to the troops. You will see the U.S. president go all the way to Afghanistan or wherever and he's having conversations with the troops. And there, he's going to encourage them. He's also going to speak to them about what they need to do. But he will not take it for granted because he already has a general who would have spoken to them about the limits and they would agree on the definition of excellence. And that definition of excellence is built in into the guidelines, into the code of business conduct. So there is no business, there is no nation, there is no entity that can work in a vacuum. You need to be established by law, either a constitution, an act of parliament, but the body that is saddled with that responsibility, whether it's the board, the commission, or whatever name they may be called, must issue some sort of guidelines. That is the scope of authority that then spells out what the definition of excellence is and what expectations are. And so whenever we sit back and we're looking at the last elections and you have guidelines from the electoral body, now those guidelines need to be updated ever so often. Why? Because nobody can ever think through all the challenges that will happen, no matter how great. But briefing, communication, and definition of excellence is a principle when you are delegating authority in a decentralized system. Number five, you must create controls like timelines and deadlines. Friends, do you see why when we are looking at why we are having issues with our elections? Because it's a form of decentralized centralization. We have the states, we have the nation or national, there are states, there are local governments, there are wards, there are polling units. Controls need to be created like timelines and deadlines. What are those timelines? The timeline for when we should stop. That is why you have role plays. Role plays or mock. You see, in my days in Baptist Academy, in Form 5, we used to have mock exams, mock WAEC. What was a mock WAEC? To get us prepared. In sports, the Super Eagles will go for the World Cup. Why do they play tune-up matches, grade A matches, grade B matches? So Nigeria is going to play in the same group with a South American country like Brazil. Nigeria may then play a grade A match with Mexico. Mexico is not Brazil, but guess what? It's a way to say, hmm, it's a role play, it's a mock exam to say, these guys are from the same zone, in like manner. Other countries that probably will want to play Cameroon or Ghana will not be able to play those countries because they will meet at the World Cup. They will get an invitational tourney where they will have Nigeria participate. So what FIFA does is to create controls like timelines and deadlines. UEFA in football creates timelines and deadlines. This is when the, the window for players to transfer window, this is the time that the Cup of Nations will start from a calf standpoint. This is the time that the World Cup will stand. This is the moment because they know the people in between are the footballers. Some play for country, some play for clubs, 
So they create controls like timelines and deadlines. And guess what? They provide ample feedback, but do not meddle. So you will not find CAF coming to meddle in the affairs of the NFA, except, of course, it has to do with the nation. Finally, friends, the last principle I want to put on the table of delegation, you must expect excellence. We must face failures together. We must solve challenges with, not for. That's a huge piece in the pie. Because these few principles I've outlined for you, principles of delegation in a decentralized system, organization, if well followed, will at least safeguard a lot of things. Friends, when we come back next week, by the grace of God, we'll start looking at the advantages of centralization and decentralization. And then thereafter, we'll look at the factors that determine the extent of centralization. I hope you find this an interesting concept that will help you as you look through the lens of our national discourse, as you look through the lens of business, as you look through life generally to understand what the merits and demerits of centralization and decentralization are, but more importantly, understanding that delegation and decentralization are two separate things, but with a common pathway. Thank you so much for listening. And if you do have any questions, please send an email to contact at navigatewithid.com. And if you feel strong enough to continue this conversation, Let's meet on any of my social media platforms. My handle is at I-D-Y-E-N-A-N-G. I can't stop loving you guys. Together, we will win. And for all it takes, let's remain calm. Let's make the best of every situation and trust God for all that we desire. God bless. And that was Navigate with ID, brought to you by Corporate Shepherds.